Welcome to Book Wondering with me, Anna James, the podcast where I talk to another writer about their most beloved children's or YA book. I'm the author of the children's fantasy series Pages & Co and an arts journalist, and this week I'm joined by Nikesh Shukla. Nikesh and I have known each other for several years now through internet and then London bookish circles, and he's the author of several books of different genres and for different ages, as well as being the editor of the UK and US editions of The Good Immigrant. Just to say that the timeline got a little bit wonky, and we discussed Nikesh's new novel, Stand Up, as upcoming, but happily for you, it is already out. Nikesh picked Spider-Man for this episode, and we use the Penguin Classic Spider-Man anthology as our starting place. And before we get into the episode, just to quickly note that while the podcast is largely suitable for children, this isn't geared at younger listeners. Welcome to Book Conjuring, Nikesh. Thanks so much for being part of it to talk about, talk about your most beloved children's YA book. Yeah, thank you for having me, and I'm really excited. Now, when I did give people free reign with what they picked, and I was delighted, uh, if unsurprised, that you picked Spider-Man. I know, who would have seen that coming, right? <laughs> <laughs> so going back to the beginning, I suppose the natural place to start is, could you just tell me a bit about how you first encountered Spider-Man? Yeah, so uh, uh, two very significant things in my childhood. One of them is when I was about six years old, we went to India as a family to visit uh, my cousins and my cousins and my mum and my aunts were all really into Archie comics and they would read them obsessively and I think they felt like as a six-year-old maybe the Archie comics were a bit too old for me and so I was given a Batman and a Spider-Man comic and I read them both obsessively cover to cover over the six weeks we were in India just like again and again and again and the spider-man one just really stayed with me i think i just connected with that character a lot more and then at some point i feel like this was just before that i think this was my sixth birthday the present from my family was a spider-man tent a small <laughs> spider-man tent like one of those play tents yeah and they they had this party where they invited all of these kids over that I didn't know, like friends of the family. Right. And there's a photo of me. You could, there's a photo of me where I'm sitting in the garden being uh, eating uh, food with my kaki. She's like forcing food into my mouth and my head is turned back towards the Spider-Man tent. And you can see it bulging because all of these kids just descended on that tent <laughs> and it was just filled with kids and I remember distinctly remember the next day going out into the garden to play with my Spider-Man tent finally I got to play with play in my tent I was really excited about it and they'd utterly demolished it oh no and it hadn't survived one day the one day I owned it and I oh. was just devastated yeah oh, no. <laughs> absolutely devastated and I feel like that's the thing that set me on my path to seek justice in the world. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I, I just really remember those two things being relatively close together. Right. And he's just been a fixture in my life ever since. Yeah. Can you remember that first issue that you were given when you were in India? Can you remember which story or issue that was? I, I believe it wasn't canon. It wasn't okay. canon in the, in the Amazing Spider-Man uh, series. I think it was just one of those sort of sort of side stories sure uh spider-man versus the green goblin um and it was just just fun it was just really fun and it also had just had at the heart of it a teenager who was just ridden by guilt and um he just wanted to do the right thing and he just failed at every opportunity and it just pushed on top of him and on top of him and on top of him there's just this pervading sense of guilt and failure all the time and god that I really resonated with oh. <laughs> growing up like I think I just grew up as a guilty kid like I never felt right. like I could do anything right and I constantly felt like I was doing the wrong thing making the wrong choices disappointing people letting people down and so Peter Parker just was um was me and and I think I really loved how he he had to he had to put on a mask and then he became the cockiest kid in 
kick it kid in the world and like the way he'd yeah i think i really loved like the difference between sort of nerdy pu- puny parker and you know when he put the mask on him he was spider-man and he'd he'd roast he'd and troll the villains as as he he fought them and he you know he was really quick and really sharp and it was like his best version of himself and i always thought god i'd really love to get to that and it's it's sort of maybe took me years to realize as an author like when i go out into the world i don't particularly like doing events or right interviews or any of those sorts of things just because i don't i don't know i just i'm quite shy and maybe that's the mask of author is like my spider-man mask or something i don't know yeah it's it is a curious thing isn't it when you write books because it seems ridiculous to say that you kind of don't think about having to do all that stuff but there is this whole world of things that you are expected to do they're not really optional um Mm. And it's this completely different public facing performance. Like I was doing school visits yesterday and I hadn't done any for ages since my last book came out. And it was that bit where you're just like, you turn up to school by yourself, pushed in front of 200 kids. And it's like, please entertain these young people for an hour. And you're like, but, but I'm a writer. Like, I don't know how to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I also had like the weird thing of starting out being a comedy writer. Or writing right, of course. Comedy comedic fiction and all the rest of it and then um the good immigrant came out and i just um found myself being put on panels as an expert on racism right and it was like no one prepares you for that because like i would understand it if you were like an ad academic or an expert or all the rest of it but I think a lot of that was because I'd been on Twitter talking about these issues and then I'd sort of edited this book that was talking about these issues. And so people were like, you can go on TV and on podcasts and on panels, of uh, both very high profile and very localized and talk about this stuff. And sure, you can take people shouting at you um, because you, you did the work in the first place. You know, you should be prepared for that sort of stuff if you're going to put that stuff out into the world. And I wasn't prepared for it because... I mean, A, it's not very nice to be shouted at for having opinions about justice and equality and all the rest of it. But also, like, I'm a writer, as you said. Like, my my favourite mode is just sort of here at my desk. Writing. Writing, doing that work. I just, I hadn't prepared myself for what being out in the world, being a public writer, doing a public book about the issues would be like. And it was horrible. Like, it absolutely destroyed me. Like, it destroyed my mental health. Like, I I was diagnosed with PTSD last year for promoting (laughs) this book. And then people were like, yeah, but you took all these opportunities. I was like, yeah, because I felt like I was doing some good. And there were other people in the book that I could give opportunities to. And also, there was a part of my ego that was probably a little bit validated by people asking me to do stuff. Sorry, I know this is about kids, but you've set, set me off on a rant now. Oh, no, but it's not, but, um, it's not for kids. It's about kids, okay, kids but it's not for kids. <laughs> cool. I was watching Hassan Minaj's new uh, stand-up special, The King's Jester, where he talks about doing this stand-up routine about the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia and um, receiving loads of death threats and them kind of feeding his ego because they kind of put him on this path, path of justice and and then it all kind of comes crashing down around him when he has an anthrax scare where he tears open an envelope and like all this powder falls on his daughter and they have to take her to the hospital and and it's not anthrax but it's enough for him to go well it very nearly could have been and like i've i had a similar thing like i had death threats to my house promoting this (laughs) this book about racism and yeah i just wasn't prepared for any of that like who how could you be yeah who prepares you for that sort of stuff no one and like I guess the type of writer I am I don't have like an an academics or public intellectuals distance from the issues like it's all coming from a very lived place which is maybe according to some people part of the problem um but yeah it was it was it wasn't nice and so like yeah I had to really spider-man myself those years you know (laughs) um and also there's the element I don't think we should be 
a shame to be able to say also those opportunities mean that people know about the book and as writers we do want and need people to buy our books to be able to do this as a living so it's a really complicated balance with promotional stuff yeah it really is because i think the baseline assumption is sure you can go and do that you can go you can go to hay festival and be put on a panel next to a racist mp oh yeah you can go and do a workshop in front of 200 kids oh you can and it, and the thing is like i'm at my best when i'm writing i'm not at my best when i'm talking or mm-hmm. being out in public or going to events like it's just not my comfortable state and that if you're not in your comfortable state like you're not necessarily going to get the best out of yourself yeah and i am going to come back to spider-man but just on this topic i'm interested because obviously you've got your ya book coming out and i'm interested with how that kind of intersects with all of what we're talking about because it's about madu who wants to be a stand-up comedian but also obviously is struggling with a lot of the stuff that you've just talked about so hopefully it's not too much of a stretch to say that that book (laughs) is coming from a similar place yeah, I mean, like all our best works, it is and it isn't. <laughs> um, like, so um, those first two YA books I did, I really wanted to do books that were set in Bristol and were around contemporary issues, um, contemporary social issues that, you know, the kids that are, you know, a bit, ha- bit having been a youth worker for so long that the kids in Bristol were really concerned about. So the first one was housing and the, the, and gentrification and the second one is like racism and mental health. And I got to play with sport. Uh, sorry, I got to play with genre as as a way of kind of telling those stories, which was great because you kind of got to Trojan horse some really sort of political stuff into like a thriller and a sports drama, you know. Um, and then I was thinking about what I wanted to do next for YA. And I really just wanted to return to comedy. Yeah. Like I really wanted to return to those comedic roots that I'd started exploring in Coconut Unlimited and in Meat Space. Like I was talking to my editor and i was like i really want to go back to comedy and she was like yeah you definitely should go back to comedy that'll be great and i was like i really don't want to do anything that's sort of issue based and she was like okay well what do you want to write about and i was like and uh, yeah i think you're right like at the time i was feeling like someone who had you know i stepped back from public life or whatever <laughs> last year or, or the year before just because i had um a couple of tweets get reported in loads of major newspapers as like an official comment on a thing oh, and they right. were ask they were asking another writer about this thing that i tweeted and they'd sort of stripped it out of the context of this uh. thread and and i was just getting really badly trolled for it and i was like you know what i've had enough and so i just sort of stepped back from all of that stuff i stopped tweeting like and in sort of a weird way felt like i had been silenced <laughs> And I didn't even go in The Guardian or Unheard or The Spectator <laughs> or BBC News to talk about it. Um, Are you truly yeah. cancelled if you haven't written 10 think pieces about being cancelled? <laughs> oh my God, it's appalling. It's just appalling. I was about to swear there. Um, <laughs> it's absolutely appalling. Um, yeah, so I felt like I'd lost my voice. and. I'd lost my voice because of some prominent people who kind of, I shared some protected characteristics with who had kind of shamed me into silence. And it, this is about a young kid who gets shamed into silence by someone who she kind of feels an affinity for because they are the role model in that if you see it, you can be it kind of thing. And like... You know, we always talk about representation matters and it does matter. But also if we're not talking about representation in terms of like structures and what privileges people have and all the rest of it, we end up with people like Priti Patel and Rishi Sunak and Suella Braverman. And everyone's like, well, yeah, if you put their politics to one side, isn't it great that they're brown? And you're like, well, not so much. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to write about all of that. And I wanted to get my voice back yeah. as well, you know, like, like maybe I... God, I've not really talked about any of this stuff sort of properly publicly before, but like there's no also there's no pressure to. Yeah, no, I no, I I don't mind. I just sort of haven't really framed my thinking about it. But sure. I I guess when um when I had that PTSD conversation and I kind of realized that I was struggling, my immediate reaction was to kind of just lose confidence in myself. Right. 
and now I've kind of worked through a lot of that stuff. I mean, I still have a lot of imposter syndrome and, I, you know, it's debatable how confident I feel about anything. But at the very least, I've worked out how to talk about this stuff. And for me, it's like it's putting it in the fiction. And so, yeah, I'm really excited about stand up coming out because it is like all of my work. It comes from a very personal place, from a very raw, emotional place. But it's also really funny and it's light and it kind of has this fun protagonist at the heart of it who's complicated and also just has this sort of slightly askance worldview which i really enjoy writing yeah and, she's you know, great oh oh amazing thank you yeah I'm, i can't wait i can't wait for people to read it so in the first book um uh, so in the second book one of the characters main characters from the first book is a very plays a very small role and in the second in the second book madhu crops up in a couple of scenes and she now gets her own book um and then we're just talking about hopefully being able to do a fourth one and then awesome. someone who I've got a plan for someone who was in this book who will nice. crop up in the next one and so on and so on, which is really nice. It's quite, it, it, I like it. It's sort of my little Bristol omniverse and it's sort of, it's always a little tribute to, to the kids that I've worked with. Yeah. And it obviously uh, takes us nicely back to the realms of Marvel. Um, yes. Uh, and although I, I, I don't want to be too flippant, uh, but, when you were talking about imposter syndrome and sort of stopping and picking writing back up, obviously having having just read a load of Spider Man, it's hard not to draw equivalences there. Um, <laughs> I was yeah. I obviously am familiar with Spider Man, but I have to admit I never read any of the comics. I've seen the films, and I was really struck by how almost every issue I read a lot of the first ones he gives up at the end of the issue he it feels like he's not doing any good he feels like he's not getting any recognition slash he's just making things worse and so many of them end with him chucking his uh costume in yeah, the bin only to realize that yeah with uh, great power comes great responsibility <laughs> yeah i mean that is one of the most famous lines not just from comics but just in fiction arguably uh it was fun seeing it in its original context reading reading the comics um yeah i know i just i love i love those comics i never read those first issues until they did this sort of reprint of them right back in like 2005 or something um and yeah, I was struck by how teenager it is, and yes. how it's it, he is he is a real teenager, and I think I just read it at the right time in my life. You know, like I think the Tom Holland Spider Man really gets him right, um, because it's sort of a mix. It's a really good mixture of the, like the whimsical and the silly and the the teenage. Where you know the Andrew Garfield one, you know, he's always painted as like very sad, 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 sad Spidey, <laughs> and. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think the the Tom Holland Spider Man gets it really right. And actually, in um, in the in the first of the new trilogy in in Homecoming, they replicate one of the best moments in any Spider Man ever in issue thirty one, where <laughs> he has this building collapse on him, and he just doesn't have the strength, and he's trying to summon up the the externals. Like I always teach this in my in my great writing class, but he's trying to summon up the external strength to lift this building up off him and he at the point of giving up he looks at him he looks at his reflection in a puddle and he sees like the mask is torn he sees half piece parker half spider-man he realizes that actually it's about the internal strength it's about the will to carry on and so he summon ups the will to survive rather than the strength to lift the building and in that moment self-actualizes and becomes the superhero that we all love and he lifts this building up and it's a really like amazing punch the air moment yeah. i love it so much and like when they did it when i saw that they'd done it in homecoming like i, I cried in the cinema oh. i thought it was so beautiful the way they did it um yeah what's like you know and the, the thing about <laughs> imposter syndrome that i have to remind myself is when i wanted to be a writer all I, I I started out by writing Spider-Man stories in an old exercise book and I never thought that that was an attainable job right. and so I spent whenever I wanted to be when I, I wanted to be a writer I just spent the time 
thinking about novel but i'm writing spider-man for marvel at the yeah, moment I, and i obviously I, was gonna ask you about this because like what yeah. a full circle yeah like and it's the most amazing thing and like it's the thing that it's been sort of rumbling on for a year and a half or so and i've been like relatively quiet about it because like it doesn't really matter whether i tell the world i'm doing it i get to tell my teenage self that i'm doing it and my teenage self is very much you know peter parker vibes of feeling feeling rubbish about himself and so it's one for me basically like there's so i'm writing um so it's it's all down to like the absolute kindness of of people on twitter actually Ah. um so every year on twitter since i've had a twitter account i've tried to manifest a thing (laughs) at the start of the year um one year i was just like this year i want to try and write a spider-man um, mostly because like I'd the year before I'd gone to LA to Marvel Studios to have an interview to join a writer's room for a Marvel show and I I blew the interview uh... but just sitting in the lobby and seeing all of the stuff from the movies uh, just made me go well maybe this isn't a stupid thing mm-hmm. um, and I mani- just manifested it on Twitter one day and Jamie McKelvey the amazing amazing comic book artist and comic writer like the guy who redesigned the miss marvel uh the captain marvel suit and you know drew loads of really iconic stuff um he just got in touch with me privately and was like if you want me to introduce you to anyone at marvel just let me know and i was like (laughs) yeah okay sure why not (laughs) and so they put me in touch with someone at marvel and um I kind of had to, I like, I workshopped this with my friends for like a good month. I was like, I can't just go in and say, hey, man, you know how everyone <laughs> wants to write a Spider-Man comic? <laughs> Guess what? Me too. Like, I had to kind of come to him with a, with a thing. And um, so there's this character in the Spider-Verse called Bavito Prabhaka, who's, who's the Spider-Man of uh, Earth-5-101, obviously the main canon Marvel is Earth-616, as we all know. Um, and... It, but he's a, he's an Indian Spider-Man called Bhavita Prabhakar. And uh, he it was an idea that Satyajit Ray, the filmmaker, um, had had with Stan Lee, like <laughs> decades and decades ago <laughs> when they were both alive. And nothing happened with that idea. But then this miniseries appeared in 2004 where they took the, the Spider-Man origin story and reset it in Bombay. They kind of turned the Green Goblin into and dr octopus into these sort of demons and you know it's all about this like spiritual journey that bubba is on and it's it's really great and he's kind of cropped up in the spider-verse every now and then though they've not done much with him and i was just like why don't i suggest we bring him back and so i suggested to marvel that we bring him back and they were like well yeah funnily enough he's gonna crop up in the next spider-verse movie which i don't which i don't think is a secret anymore because i'm pretty sure he's in oh yeah no no it's not a secret anymore because they've released (laughs) artwork um and so i was like i'd like to do some more stuff with him and they're like yeah funnily enough he's gonna be the next spider-verse and so they said yes then i pitched them an idea and i got to write a short story uh sort of reintroducing him as a character um that came out last summer and then a thing will happen later on this year that hasn't been announced yet but we'll expand on that character but i get to also write peter parker which is very cool it was like <laughs> i just i saw like pencil like penciled pages for a scene with him and peter parker and it just you know it just made me so happy i can't even imagine and to be kind of part of that process that kind of mythical process of pages being written and inked and lettered and to be sort of part of that must feel pretty epic oh my god yeah because like it it felt it felt to me like i want to be an astronaut i want to be a policeman right. i want to be a spider-man writer you know? <laughs> like i'd file it in that sort of kids wheelhouse of like right. kids jobs that aren't really real um or i mean they are real but they're not like <laughs> you, you know what i mean yeah um, 
Sorry, astronauts. <laughs> yeah, this is not a podcast that thinks astronauts are uh, yeah. fake news. Yeah, we the, believe the in astronauts. landings were not on a soundstage. <laughs> yeah. That's not where Stanley we're going Cooper. with this. No, no, no. I apologize to Tim Peake and Tim Peake alone. Um, <laughs> no, no, what I mean is like, you know, when like kids are just like, what can I see? Um, yeah, so it just felt, that just felt like, that to me and so to be actually doing it you know like like all projects it you know it's going the way it's going um but I always have to remind myself that like that kid who got his Spider-Man 10 absolutely destroyed his writing a Spider-Man years and years later it's you couldn't write it it's such a neat arc it's beautiful (laughs) yeah yeah I'm very I'm, I'm very happy about it and what you said about it being one for past you I think really gets to kind of the crux honestly of why I wanted to do this podcast about the books that we love because I think almost all writers or creatives have that book or an author Mm. that is part of you before you were the public facing writer like I always know when I if I ever get to interview or speak with writers who I loved before I was a writer it like engages a different bit of my brain like I can meet I've met like I've interviewed properly famous people and got less starstruck than someone who's not really famous but I loved them when I was a teenager mm. and I I just love hearing about what those books are I'm not sure many people are gonna have such an incredible end point to it to that and then I wrote one myself uh which makes <laughs> this a particularly great chat um but those books just get into your soul don't they the things that make you at that age and however much you get become part of the process of making these things I don't know if you literally become part of the process if that's changed it or you still have that slight kind of you're still that fan when you are part of that process it's like a complicated version of all of it I think (laughs) I get to see that with my with my kids at the moment it's really nice like you know, to see the effect that you or Annabelle Sammy have on my eldest daughter. Um, I'm, I'm going to take a screen grab of us uh, at the end to show her that this is how I spent my day today. <laughs> um, but like, it just hits you on this sort of, this spiritual level that like, you know, like when someone presses a book into your hands and goes, oh my God, read this. It utterly changed my life. And you read it and you're like, <laughs> yeah, it's all right. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's because it's hit them on a spiritual level that it will never hit you. Like it's something to do with the time, the the, yeah. the place, the lived experience, the mood you were in, the kind of the play, the time you were in in your life. And, you know, maybe Spider-Man came into my life at the point at which I felt connected to my cousins who I didn't know because we were all lying next to each other reading comics. And because there was a sense of, you know, he's a very youthful character. Even now that you know he's he's an he's an adult, there's something quite teenage about the way Peter Parker moves through the world. And you know, Miles Morales is still at school, and just hit me in the way that like a friend of mine that he had that for Batman, and a friend of mine had that for the Incredible Hulk. And you know, that it speaks to something within you. And I think like just g- growing up with this sort of constant feeling of guilt and shame in my life like Peter Parker was just my guy and yeah like I think it's important it's important I think to highlight the things that shaped you as a person when you're an artist because so so much becomes about the craft and I read this book and it taught me so much about writing and I read this I, I watched this and it taught me so much about structure and actually like what's the thing that you read or watched that made you you or what's the album that you listened to that made you go wow this is now my personality (laughs) like there was a time when Radiohead was my entire personality you know like um just because they hit me at that time and you know as part of the zeitgeist at the time it was part of what everyone was into but it was also like they just hit on a on a level deeper than everything else in this in the way that I don't know, blur didn't or whatever. Right. It's it's there's a kind of mythical quality to it. Yeah. What what was that book for you? Um you know, I've been thinking about this a lot, obviously, doing this podcast. Um and I think it was probably Northern Lights. 
Um, I think I'm never quite sure how much I want to talk about this online, but I have said openly in the past, I had a very religious <clears throat> childhood and my granddad bought it for me, uh, who is the very much the inspiration behind Tilly's granddad in my books. Hmm. Um, and he was a very religious man, but he bought me this book that is about the corruption of organized religion. Uh, hmm. And, you know, that series goes on to kill, they kill God at the end of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it really cracked something open in my mind, I think, about not, it's not a book even though there are just overt villains in it, a lot of what Lyra is dealing with is people who do care for her in some way or have qualities that like, I think it made me think about how people who love you can still tell you things that aren't real for a variety of reasons. Uh, but also my granddad passed away when I was, um, at university and I never really got the chance to know him as an adult, you know, as a child, like your grandparents, your grandparents. And um, it's something that has, I don't say haunted because that gives it a very negative spin. It's something that I sit with a lot, mm. not being, never really being able to know, is it as simple as he didn't know what those books were about, but he always knew what the books were about that he bought me because he chose them very carefully. He used to report back to his local bookshop on what I was enjoying um and yeah so i think that probably uh is the book um and <laughs> the 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 other thing isn't a book which uh, if anyone who follows me on social media will know that i have a uh, moulin rouge is like my yeah. thing <laughs> and i'm trying to resist talking about it too much because otherwise it'll come up again and again and again in every single episode um but uh i think that was also one where um but that's also like with Spider-Man, that's one where I've been able to have a bit of a full circle on it. And I uh, like Secret Cinema did their show and I mm. was able to be kind of part of the story. And that really was like a really healing experience for me. And again, manifesting, I've somehow managed to turn like having this moment, an immersive theater show into, I now write about immersive theater as a job and get to talk to people who make it and explore why being part letting people like immersive theater sometimes is just fun but i do think there's a at, at its heart i'm fascinated by that idea of what it can do to let mm. someone be part of a story that meant something to them when they do a film or a tv series that was your thing when you're a teenager and then yeah. they let you go and be part of it it really is yeah like it does something to your brain that i still find very very interesting to kind of try and puzzle out so a combo of all of those things really there's you just remind thank you thanks for sharing that was really lovely like but you you just reminded me of a line from high fidelity of things, <laughs> um where rob the the main character is talking about um he goes it's not what you're like it's what you like that makes uh... you a person which i he kind of means it in a in a like in a way that kind of builds like you know how you kind of build up the aesthetic of who you are based on like your likes and dislikes but actually i think perhaps he probably means that like it's those things that hit you on that spiritual mythical level that kind of define how you view the world and and there's this line that zadie smith wrote she, she wrote this essay about writing nw and uh, I'm gonna butcher it now. I'm so sorry to Zadie. So, I'm sorry to Zadie Smith and to Tim Peake. This week. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she's like, she says something like, "The um, you know, when you're writing fiction, you know, it's very hard to discern how who who people are. Um, it's it's, uh, you know what? I'm not. <laughs> I'm really gonna butcher it. I'm not even gonna try. Okay. But it's like she's sort of talking about how like." the more time at, when we're constructing characters that we focus on like what people wear say do act that that tells us more about who they are than like going this person was generous or, or what have you right right it is fascinating isn't it thinking about how we kind of build build ourselves 
up and the stories that we are in conversation with as writers i love i quite yeah. enjoy when you read a book and you can really tell which which books they're in conversation with and i i'm not i'm really i'm not saying that in a kind of passive aggressive way because I, I i don't mean it as a oh they they've clearly read the secret history i really <laughs> enjoy being able to be like oh that the, clearly the secret history is a book that they love and want to be in conversation with and i'm a fan of like I'm writing a new fantasy series, which I'm very overtly like. It's my conversation with Earthsea. I'm not pretend like I'm not trying to pretend that it's that it's not. Uh, I and I enjoy being able to pick out mm. the books that. Oh, sometimes maybe I'm just getting it completely wrong, but I like to try and <laughs> I like to try and pick out which books I think that the writers are in conversation with. Yeah, it's you know writing Spider Man has given me the confidence to start thinking about. Uh, YA superhero thing that I've wanted to do for oh. ages and I remember when I first started thinking about it when I first started thinking about moving to YA someone said to me oh kids kids like teenagers aren't really into that and I'm always very dubious when people tell <sighs> you what they think teenagers are yes. into when they don't actually spend any time with teenagers and you know it was very eye-opening for me as a youth worker to go oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> this is what a small subsection of teenagers that right. i work with in bristol who feel um the invitation to come to a youth club in includes them are into you know, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't mean i know what all teenagers are into um but i think a lot of it was just i didn't have the confidence to go no this is what it is this is what i want to do it'll be fun trust me um but yeah writing writing for marvel has kind of given me i'm part of that canon now which yeah. is like which is really great and you don't i guess you don't get to be part of that canon if you're not good at what you do for sure so, yeah so like it's every time i have an inkling about like i feel the creep of imposter syndrome i have to go i wrote a spider-man yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> now you're a marvel writer perhaps you can't talk about this too openly <laughs> how um what is your relationship with marvel as a broader not in a business sense but as a broader creative venture obviously it has become a juggernaut of popular culture in a way yeah. that when you first encountered spider-man it was obviously popular but it's, it's become a very different beast with the with the films oh yeah that's when being a nerd was like the worst thing you can be called yeah. you know yeah um so how has your yeah has your relationship shifted with it becoming such a mainstream thing do you ever get protective of it with uh you know everyone feeling like they have an opinion on spider-man or marvel well you know i have a, my opinion i like <laughs> I, I i still have my pull list at my local comic shop which is currently and has been since i've lived in bristol excelsior comics shout out to excelsior comics nice uh and to the lovely people who who run it um like and my pull list for the last 10 years has been spider-man daredevil miss marvel fantastic four and x-men and, okay you know it's never really changed that's right. always been the stuff that i really love um i you know like i sometimes i feel superhero fatigue but i think that's just because there was there's just been a lot of it in the last few years yeah um it's hard to keep up my partner and I watched at the start of the pan pandemic of the lockdown, we watched all the Marvel films in order. Um, but at that point that was like for a lockdown, a manageable task. And then I feel like we got to the end and then suddenly there was like Just six TV series and a film every three months. And we abandoned it because we just couldn't keep up with the content. Yeah. And I think there is, there is a case to be made that by having too much stuff, be under the umbrella of one massive company it, it does mean that the starting point for a lot of creatives has to be there rather than their own ideas yeah um and you know you constantly hear stories of like people who have like singular artistic visions and voices being brought into the stables of these various franchises yeah. and then sort of coming out coming out the other end feeling like they've lost something of their voice and but then you also have films like Thor Ragnarok, which definitely feels like it could have only been made by Taika Waititi. Right. 
I I don't I don't know. Like <laughs> it's complicated. I think there's too much, but also I will watch all of it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sort of stuck. And like um, you know, my how I would do Kang the Conqueror might not be how they do it in this new Ant Man film or um like I will say I do think that this the MCU Spider Man is great. Yeah. And I really loved the Toby Maguire Spider Man, and I right. thought that the Andrew Garfield Spider Man was probably a third film away from being a good Spider Man. And like, yeah, I I don't know, yeah, it's it's hard. <laughs> yeah. It's it it is hard because I also you know like if I could get to write an X Men or if I could get to write a Daredevil or a Fantastic Four that would be amazing as well yeah. you know or if yeah. I get the opportunity to develop my own character you know oh my goodness yes obviously Spider Man in particular has they've had sorry. oh no you're fine sorry 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 hi hi yeah, yes I'm fine. okay bye. That was just my friend Noam. I don't. I appreciate uh, a random phone call from yeah. them, but I always do feel bad that they always come at the least. The worst times, yeah. Yeah. And then when I call him back, he's kind of lost the enthusiasm. Whatever, of whatever he was whatever, in the moment for, yeah. And it was probably Sorry. something. It was. Yeah. <laughs> feel free to keep this in, but it was probably <laughs> something Marvel related, because a couple oh. of hours ago he sent me a, a YouTube video about a new Marvel film. <laughs> about the easter eggs in in the oh, trailer nice. of the new Marvel. Cute. <laughs> yeah and he probably just wanted to talk through them that's that's lovely though i love that i've i've still got friends in my 40s who we can just go yeah and that that thing that is in the background is definitely the terrigan mist or you know whatever it is you know i love having friends that you can be i love having friends uh, too oh. <laughs> <laughs> i love having friends full stop but i particularly love having friends that you can unashamedly be a fan with yeah um, it's really I, nice i have a group chat with i hope they don't mind me saying this um i going back to immersive theater um there's the new punch drunk show on at the moment which has a lot of stuff that you can really like dig into in terms of the set and what's going on and I have a group chat at the moment with two friends that we really enjoy, like nerding out over the, oh, did you see that painting on the wall in that set? Do you think that means that? But the thing with Punch Drunk is it usually does does mean something. Um, with Spider-Man, obviously we've mentioned the three, recently there's been three big bashes at getting it right in a way that other, four. I mean, four? Which um, one am I the, forgetting? The Into the Spider-Verse. Movie, oh, of course. Think, of course. Which I which I, I would go so far as to say definitely in my top five films of all time. Oh, wow. Okay. I love that film so much. Okay. Apologies to so Spider-Verse. Uh, okay. So there's been four bashes at it. <laughs> and apart from... Um, but they've all been successful. Because I was going to say, Fantastic Four, they've had a few bashes at, but they haven't quite got it right, have they? What What is it about Spider-Man that people keep coming back to and keep making films that people really like it's not like they're fa like they don't work and so they're like we need to try again is or is that why they keep coming back to it because it's got that depth to it you can keep doing it i think he's just so relatable as a teenager like if you think about a lot of the other marvel other marvel like male um sort of big heroes you've got Tony Stark, he's rich and a genius. <laughs> Reed Richards, he's a genius and a genius. Um, <laughs> Bruce Banner, he's a scientist and an army scientist and a genius. Uh, like, Peter Parker is clever. He's also a kid. Yeah. You know? And I think that's just what makes him so relatable. Like, mm -hmm. I think... I, I also think that's why Miles Morales and why Kamala Khan, why Miss Marvel work, because they're just they're just kids at school. My favourite book, occasional Marvel book that they do, is called Champions. Okay. And it's like the YA Avengers. Oh, fun. It's, yeah, it's uh, Miss Marvel, Miles Morales is Spider-Man, um, Wanda and Vision's daughter, ah. the Hulk's kid, and Kid Nova, and they all just have a team up 
like they have a ten issue team up and it's so much fun and it's so teenage and it just reminds me of why I love comic books and why I love these characters. Like there was a time where it just got very dark and gritty and like sure that's great but like it just too dark and too gritty and you lose some of the like the technicolor magic of what makes these characters work yeah uh, and also like the dark and gritty versions are also definitely like the more fascistic versions of these characters <laughs> like the frank frank miller's um batman and superman is definitely like bordering on a bit gross right um I won't get your podcast flamed by Frank <laughs> yeah. but thanks. He uh, he definitely wrote a comic book series called Holy Terror, where a superhero who looked like Batman went and fought all of the Iraqis and beat them all up right. for nine for nine eleven, and it was it was really gross. It was really yeah. easy, Islamophobic and gross. And then you like you don't have to do too much work to go. Oh, this is just his Batman from The Dark Knight Returns. Right. And actually, when I was reading, so I actually am going to use you recommend when I said, what should I read to prep for our chat? You recommended this Penguin has done like a, they've done it for Black Panther, Captain America and Spider-Man so far. And they've done like an incredible collection of the kind of key issues that you need from the beginning. But they're connected as well with really useful context for how they got put together. Sometimes they miss out a few and they tell you what happened. So I really enjoyed reading it. Thank you for the recommendation. And if anyone else has not read the actual comics before, it's a really good place to start. Uh, but I was really struck by it as well as, but like obviously Peter does have, as we've talked about, his like imposter syndrome and angst and serious emotions, but they are so much fun. And I was also mm. really struck by how present, like, it, I don't know if it's just Stan Lee doing the script, but like there's a lot of... um editorial comment almost like a meta level of like you think you've seen the worst villain yet but stay with us because you don't know what's coming next and i enjoyed i enjoyed that element of it so much yeah it's stanley was always so playful yeah um and and the dialogue is so punchy in the in those in those early comics it's so fun the back and forth between him and the villains you know you always have these villains who are sort of like they're very serious about the crime that they're committing and they've got Spidey kind of, you know, he's absorbing the punches, but he's like, he's throwing them off by just being a goofball about yeah. it. And it's it's lovely because that's what a teenager would be like. He'd be like, yep. ah you <laughs> idiots. <laughs> yeah. There's a like minor villain called Fancy Dan. Uh, yeah. And there's one and- bit where he says something like, oh, like you can't catch me, Fancy Dan. And I have actually started just shouting. Like, I just love using that at every possible moment. <laughs> you can't catch me, Fancy it's Dan. It's such a delight of a line. And it is yeah. just, I was grinning so much reading the dialogue yeah. in them. It's, it's so great. And like you say, I think, yeah, the Tom Holland films do kind of capture that energy. Uh, yeah, it, it it was fun. They're just fun. Yeah, that that's what I love about it. Is it's really they're just really fun and like there is, you know, going back to what you were saying before about those things that sort of hit us on on the the mythical level, the the, the spiritual level. It's like sometimes you can just go you can go so deep on some things that actually you forget why you liked it in the first place. Yeah. And it's just like pure unadulterated, unadulterated entertainment. Yeah. And there's not much in the world that manages to be action packed and have this sort of like quiet comment about Clark being working class and poverty and, you know, Talk about being, you know, someone who's been bullied at school and someone who just can't get anything right and just feels like the whole world is against him. And then is also action-packed and funny. And yeah. it, it that's, that's what I love about it. It's so much funnier than any of the other comic books that I grew up reading. Like, you'd never right. get that level of humour in Wolverine. Like, Deadpool <laughs> comics are funny, but they're, comi- they're funny and I'm like a, hey, we all understand, like, wink to the camera. I forgot this is an audio right. medium. Um, like, <laughs> <laughs> the, um, they're all sort of funny on a meta level, whereas just Peter Parker is just a funny teenager roasting Yeah, you. it's just like Bants. Like, it's just yeah, it's funny. It's Bants. Yeah, <laughs> it's Bants. Yeah. Spidey is Bants. 
and actually I think you know there's been a real resurgence in graphic novels for they're super popular at the moment you know things like bunny versus monkey and dogman and i say resurgence but it's actually probably like kids have always enjoyed that stuff it's just that we have the stuff to give them now but there's still a real snobbery i think about um and i don't really know it's frustrating that even within the industry there's there's some reticence there given how much appetite there clearly is i think bunny versus monkey is the number one in the children's chart this week like there's just a huge appetite for young people but i think it goes it's what you're saying is partly i think it is that they're just they're so enjoyable and why are we resistant (laughs) to that but isn't isn't that the way with stuff that is genre stuff that is entertainment for entertainment's sake but isn't sort of empty entertainment right and and also like Michael Rosen always had this when he was children's laureate. Like his big thing was like, we don't take funny books. We should take funny books more seriously. And he was right. Like you know, when he set up the Roald Dahl Funny Prize, um, rest in peace to that amazing prize. Uh, it's now the Lollies, isn't it? That, that's sort of where it's yes. ended up. Yes, it's because I think it's run by Scholastic. <clears throat> but yes, the Lollies is certainly a real prize. But you know that whole thing. Of, I think funny books just aren't taken as seriously um but from my experience funny books is what keeps boys reading yeah and reluctant readers you know i used to be a school librarian and i saw this again and again and again um the books that actually convert young readers into readers almost always the first one is going to be fun and entertaining that's like the it's how and it doesn't that saying it out loud almost seems like too obvious like why why is that a surprise that entertaining books convince children that books can be fun like that's that's almost seems too obvious to say and yet and yet it's treated as not obvious yeah yeah i mean this this whole thing of like I I think I fell into that trap a little bit when The Good Immigrant came out. There was this whole thing about, like, reading can change the world, but also, like, you forget that also reading for pleasure is just... It's life-changing in a way that doesn't feel too heavy-handed, you know? And that's why I'm all for kids reading thrillers and, you know, getting into books through franchise properties. Like, I, I remember in our school library it was really well stocked with like novelizations of films that we didn't didn't necessarily have such easy access to because we didn't have the netflixes and you know streamers where which made everything available all the time so like reading the karate kid book or the back to the future book or the star wars book you know that that's what got me into reading and you know the red wall books were the like the first series of books I was really like I was into the whole mythology of right. it for a good five to ten books and then I, I think I probably aged out of it and moved on to the to, to the next thing but um you know I really remember those red wall books being so popular in our school library but our English teacher being really sniffy about people yeah. reading them and we'd we'd get told off for reading them but it'd be like they're in the library like why can't we take them out yeah i also Um, feel like at this point i need to do a disclaimer of like not all teachers not all librarians yeah because obviously for every person who's sniffy about it now i i'm more i'm covering my back (laughs) because there are obviously hordes of incredible teachers librarians and booksellers who are completely on board with what we are saying yeah no it was very specifically one teacher yeah um who thought we should be reading thomas hardy um which and as soon as i as soon as i didn't have that english teacher anymore and i had the next english teacher and she made us um she made she made us read uh matilda which at a boys school you know it was like it was a really great thing um it it changed everything i just suddenly realized that like being taught english could be fun yeah and so so often it's just the teacher but then the, the teacher like they only come with what they know and what they like yeah and that one teacher just wasn't for me you know, no that's and that's fine. i that's that's the way isn't it i had 
bad English teachers, but also my A-level English teacher just, I think, was a huge part of setting my life on the course it went. Uh, he just, he recommended me loads of books that I loved and also just get, com gave me the confidence that I was good at writing, that no one yeah. else had really ever said to me. And sometimes, again, talk about these formative moments, sometimes when you're a teenager, you just need one person you admire or respect yeah. to to tell you that you are good at something has a huge my, impact the english teacher who changed my life and got me really excited about writing just turned up in the signing my signing queue at oh. one year and it just utterly broke me. Like, you know there's that famous clip of ian wright yeah um, yeah seeing his his old PE teacher and like pulling his hat off like yeah. like he's a kid who shouldn't be wearing a hat in school and you just see it in his face just for a second he's like 10 again it's really beautiful like I, I had that moment where I looked up and I was like, oh my God, it's, it's I, hope, I don't think you'll mind me naming it, Mr. Roseblade. Um, was just standing there, like smiling, like he had done like oh. 20 years ago. And I was like, oh my God. And then he gave me his number and then started WhatsApping me. And I still call him Mr. Roseblade whenever, yeah. <laughs> whenever we yeah. And he always has to say, you can call me Chris. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I will not. Yeah. Um, but he utterly changed my life. And so much of it was he, he, gave us like in all of the texts that he could choose he gave us stuff that was really off the wall um not off the wall but like he just wanted to expand our minds yeah. like we did you know obviously i i caveat this with i did not know this about this particular person then that i do now but we studied annie hall for gcse like the woody allen script for annie hall yeah. and also the catcher in the rye was like a big big book for me when i was when i was 16 you know, Holden, yeah holden coalfield is like oh my god this guy knows my pain oh my goodness he <laughs> it gets such a bad reputation the catch in the ride but that was one of the books that my english teacher gave to me and it had a huge impact on me and i unashamedly i'm a jd salinger catch in the rye fan and i get irked by people what, doing their bad takes on it on but why, why does he get such a bad rep because he he is a complicated not very nice kid but like yeah yeah neither was i, I so think i mean so was i right? it's a combo isn't it of i think that a lot of a lot of bookish teenagers have we had that experience so it becomes a bit of a people are wary of things that sort of everyone has the same experience with uh, yeah. but i also think there is sometimes a very should we say what should i say uh unnuanced unintellectual reading of the book which sort of i think i get concerned sometimes i see this a lot on tiktok a reading of a book where a person is awful and a character is awful and there's a like this book is problematic because this character is bad problematic and i've I find that quite difficult. I find that because, quite stressful, yeah. Yeah, because characters are meant to be complicated. Right. They're meant to be they're meant to be difficult and nuanced and we shouldn't like I don't want my character I don't want my characters to be likable. I want my characters to be root forable. Yeah, exactly. A key distinction. <laughs> um Yeah. Right. <laughs> um to wrap things now, up. Now now that yeah. we've insulted Tim Peake <laughs> <laughs> people who don't like well, the catch in the rye and tiktok english, and that one english teacher <laughs> yeah that one i think our job's done right, yeah great stay tuned because the real villain is coming up next <laughs> oh my goodness i am honestly obsessed with the little those those editor's yeah. notes on the starts of start but of each issue when he refer refers to us as true believers, it yeah. makes me go, oh my God, I think I do belong to a cult. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, you know, I'm a newly signed up member uh, of that cult. So, glad. so thank so you glad for indoctrinating have... me. I'm so glad to have brought, brought that into your life. <laughs> um, and yeah, also, look, thanks for Pages & Co. It is a big favourite in this household and I'm really excited about the new fantasy series. That means a lot. Thank well. you. Um, and actually, last chance to uh, let's just do a recap of what you've got coming up, because we've obviously mentioned stand up, but that was way back at the beginning. So uh, what what are you working on? What have you got coming out that you can tell us about? Yeah, so I have got uh, stand up is coming out in March. That is the 
my third YA book, and it's about a young kid with the world on her shoulders who wants to be a stand-up comedian, uh, and I'm really excited about that coming out. I've also got the paperback of my creative writing book, Your Story Matters, coming out in that month as well. I've got a Spider-Man-related thing happening in summer. <laughs> okay. Exact dates, TBC. Okay. And there's another thing that's happening that's not announced, uh, <laughs> but I'll, I'll tell you about afterwards because it's quite exciting. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Right, thank you so much, Nikesh. Thanks so much for listening to Book Wandering. You can find out more information about Nikesh and what we talked about below. And you can also buy any or all of the books we chatted about via my bookshop.org page. If you enjoyed the episode, then I would really appreciate you spreading the word or leaving a review. You can find me at Case of Books on social media or you can email me at annajamesauthor at gmail.com. The podcast is produced by Adam Collier with artwork by Hester Kitchen. And next week, I'll be chatting to Emily St. John Mandel about The Dark is Rising. So do come back and listen next week. Until then, happy book wandering. Thank you.